0: I have a question for your consideration as we begin this morning, something I want you to ponder. What is the mightiest or most powerful nation or people on the planet? What is the mightiest or most powerful nation or people on the planet? Now. As I say that, some of you, suspecting perhaps a trick question, (coughs) might think, well, depends on the time that you're talking about. And that would be a a fairly (coughs) good consideration, seeing as how nations and kingdoms rise and fall and come and go on on a regular basis. Certainly, if you were talking about Moses' day, Most people would most likely say the nation of Egypt. They were by far the most powerful nation or people on the planet. Those of Gideon's day might have said Philistines. Got to be the Philistines. (coughs) Certainly there would have been many in Daniel's day that would have said King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian empire, especially after what they did to Jerusalem, definitely them. Certainly in the days of our Lord in the first century apostles, the vast majority would have had to have said the Roman Empire, for sure, for sure, no doubt. As we climb up through the, the Dark Ages and you ask that question, might not have been a nation at all. Sometimes it's a people. Some might have said, well, the Catholic Church. And if you know the history of the Dark Ages and, and all of that, you, you might agree at that time. Since World War II, a lot of people would say the United States of America. Some today, despite Russia's setbacks in Ukraine, might even say the Soviet Union. Certainly, Vladimir Putin and his supporters would say that, especially in light of the new nuclear warhead-capable Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile. That's a mouthful, but I can do it. You heard about this thing that they test fired a week and a half ago? This Sarmat missile, listen to this, it's been dubbed Satan II by the West. It's what the West is calling it and not without good reason. This particular missile can carry a payload of 10 to 15 nuclear warheads. 10 to 15. It weighs, check this out, 230 tons, this missile. That is the equivalent of six nearly loaded to capacity tractor trailers. Tractor trailers, 80,000 loaded to capacity legally. Six of those, 230 tons, what this thing weighs. And it moves at a speed of, are you ready for this? 16,000 miles an hour. Here to Catoosa in four and a half seconds. Five seconds. Let's round it up. And it has a range of over 11,000 miles. 11,000 miles, 16,000 miles an hour, 230 tons, 15 nuclear warheads. It has such a range, in fact, that it can go over the North Pole or around the South Pole and avoid most, um, most of the missile systems of a country to strike anywhere in the world. Do you know something? Neither Russia, the US, or any other so-called world superpower is the most powerful nation or planet on people on the planet today. Despite even their vast nuclear arsenals, they are not the most powerful people or nation on the planet, not even the US. There is a far more powerful people with a far more powerful weapon, a far more powerful arsenal than even miles and miles of Sarmat missiles lined up side by side across an entire country could ever signal. Who is the most powerful people on the planet? Well, the actual answer to that question is not time dependent. It does not depend on what age or era you talk about. It's always the same. No matter the time, the year, the decade, the century, or the millennia that we ask that question, the most powerful people on the planet is always the same. It is that nation or that people that has as its head and as its king the all-powerful, invincible, unconquerable, and supreme sovereign and creator of the entire universe, the Lord God Almighty? That's the answer, always. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, as it says in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, it is the people that belong to that God that is the most powerful people with the most powerful weaponry on the planet. It is the people of the living God no matter the time frame or period in human history, including today, who are by far the most powerful people on the planet. You might not believe that when I first say it, especially in light of the firepower we just talked about on a physical level. But I'm here to tell you that biblically it's true. And in reality, it's true. And we're going to spend the rest of the lesson talking about that. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and let us first begin with the words of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you would please turn there. God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. That means that what it says is true, and it defies time. Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where we will begin as he speaks about the nation at that time or God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, he says, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? And I would, I would say today, what people is it that is as blessed as the Lord's people, his own blood-bought children who have God as our Father and is as close to him as, as we are today by the virtue of his mercy? Moses goes on to say in verse 8, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? If we move over in Deuteronomy 4 and look at verses 32 and following, see what we read there in verses 32 through 39. Moses says, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. See, this, this supersedes time. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fires, fire as you have heard? and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials and signs and wonders and war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Moses is talking to the people of God right here. And he's saying, look, there's nobody like your God. There's nobody like your king. He is the all-powerful, unconquerable, invincible, sovereign. Look what he did. He says in verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. What an awesome God. Now certainly just prior to this, when they were slaves in the land of Egypt, most assuredly, Egypt had to have believed that they, that is Egypt, were the most powerful people or nation on the face of the planet. Certainly, Pharaoh thought that, certainly. But in actuality, the Egyptians that thought they were the most powerful, Because of their complete rejection of Almighty God, Egypt was simply a powerless people doomed to failure, uh, Red Sea, doomed to failure and devoted to destruction in those days, and that's all they were, because they rejected God. God had earlier told Moses, I want you to tell this message to Pharaoh, Exodus 9, 15, and 16. If I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this purpose I raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. God says, you go tell Moses. Uh, Moses, let me me say this again. God said to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh. Hey, the only reason you're in power is I allow you to be for my purpose and I'll bring you down to my glory. Despite what it may have appeared to the human eye, Egypt in those days was far from being the world's most powerful nation or people. God's people were. And you know why they were? They were because of the invincible, unconquerable, eternal king, God, the creator of heaven and earth, as as Moses explained. That's what made them the most powerful people on the planet. If you had asked the people in King Jehoshaphat's day who the mightiest nation or people on the planet were, they might have said, well, that great multitude of the forces of Moab and Ammon and Mount Seir who came up against us, or who are coming up against us, which we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. But God proved in that chapter that those those three combined armies and that multitude, they they weren't the most powerful. God proved that his people were the most powerful, not because of his people, but because they were his people. Not his people, but his people. In Daniel's day, surely many would have said King Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians were the mightiest nation of people on the planet, but you know what? The people that would have said that would have been dead wrong. Dead wrong. And Daniel explained that to King Nebuchadnezzar rather clearly in Daniel chapter 2. He said to King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, the only reason you're ruling is because God allows you to rule. The only reason that you're in the position that you are in, the only reason you reign is because God is allowing it to, allowing it to happen. Matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel goes on to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? After your kingdom is all over, dust and ashes, if I may use my own language, there's going to be another kingdom that's going to arise. And you know what? That kingdom's going down in dust, too. You know what? And there's going to be another kingdom arise. Oh, and by the way, during the days of those kings, the Roman Empire, the God of heaven himself is going to set up his own kingdom. It's going to be like all these other kingdoms. This isn't going to be like your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not going to be like the next kingdom to come or the kingdom after that. When God establishes his kingdom, it is, going to re- it is going to be forever. It is invincible. It will never leave the earth until Jesus takes it home. In the days of Jesus and his apostles, again, so many would have said the Roman Empire is certainly the mightiest nation or people on the planet, and they would have been dead wrong. God's people were victorious over the Roman Empire. Is that true? What's the message of Revelation written to those first century Christians? May I paraphrase Revelation? Roman Empire is going down, but my kingdom's going to stay victorious. You are part of my church. You are victorious. Rome's going down. That's the message of Revelation. You know, there have been many self-proclaimed gods with a small g, who sought to eradicate the nation and people of God in the first few decades following the establishment of his kingdom or church on Earth. There were many who thought they were the most powerful people or nation on the planet. (coughs) They thought themselves, themselves gods, from Nero to Vespasian to Domitian, to Trajan, and a whole host of other Roman Empire leaders. I have a question. Where are they now? Where are they now? Where's the bodies of Nero and Trajan and Domitian, and where are their eternal souls, as far as we know? But where's God? Where's Christ? Where are their people? We're still here, aren't we? God is still reigning in heaven. Nero's done. Domitian, Trajan, all of them, they're done. They're dirt. They're dust. But God is reigning. Christ Jesus is still at his right hand. Is that right? interceding for you and me, and God's people are still here. The church is still victorious. You tell me who was more powerful in the first century and the second, third, and everyone that's followed ever since. I'll tell you where that church or kingdom over which Christ is both head and king, that kingdom which still carries and reverences and carries out his holy will in his holy name, I'll tell you where they are. Still alive and well, aren't they? Still here. Still invincible, still unconquerable. Remember Jesus' promise in Matthew 16 how he would establish his kingdom and the gates of Hades would not overtake it? When I build my kingdom, he says, it's it's going to be there, period. Nobody's going to take it over. Nobody's going to beat it. Nobody's going to defeat it because nobody on earth has that power. While back in old house to house issue, there was this little couple of paragraphs I want to read to you called The Indestructible Word. It says this. Many have tried to destroy the Bible, the Bible, of course, being that weapon of mass salvation that we have. We have the greatest weapon in the world. That Sarmat missile cannot do what we can do. We have more power than that. That missile can only kill. We can give people eternal life when we present the word of God to them. Is that right? That is far more power. It takes a lot more power to give eternal life than it does to take earthly life. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10 don't fear those who can kill, but fear him who can kill both or take both bodies, kill both body and soul in hell. We have, and this is what Christians don't get. We have a more powerful weapon than that thing I described earlier. Than a whole, whole shorter story. A sea to shining sea, shore to shore line of them. Let me get back to this article before I start preaching. Many have tried to destroy the Bible. In 303 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian issued an edict to destroy Christians and their Bibles. Over a burned Bible, he built a monument on which he wrote these words, "Extinto." momene christinorum, which means the name Christian is extinguished. That was three hundred three. Twenty years later, Diocletian was dead, and the new emperor Constantine commissioned 50 copies of the Bible to be prepared at government expense. Who wins? I continue. In 1776, hmm, there's a year that ought to be familiar to us as Americans, right? In 1776, (coughs) Voltaire, the French philosopher, announced this, quote, 100 years from my day there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by some antique seeker, unquote. 100 years later, Voltaire was dead and his own house and press were being used to print and store Bibles by the Geneva Bible Society. 100 years from the day of Voltaire's prediction, the first edition of his works sold for 11 cents in Paris. But the British government paid the Tsar of Russia a half a million dollars for an ancient Bible manuscript. Who wins? God's word will stand forever. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall by no means pass away, Matthew 24 and verse 35. Where are those who thought that they were more powerful then and sought to eradicate Christianity and the people who practiced it in more recent history, like over the past couple of centuries? Where are the men like Karl Marx? Karl Marx, the German philosopher who once wrote, quote, communism begins where atheism begins, unquote. Where are those people and those those leaders who sought to follow Marx's communist model, sought to to try to wipe Christianity out. Where are those men like Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, and a whole host of others? Where are they? I know where God is. I know where God's people are, and we're doing well, thank God. Even the seemingly mighty nuclear-saber-rattling Vladimir Putin and his sadly mistaken and completely deceived contemporaries with all the sarmats they can produce and then some, listen to me, church, even he, with all of that, by comparison, has no power whatsoever when you compare that to the invincible power and weaponry that we, as the people of the living God, have right here. By comparison, he's got nothing. Don't underestimate the kingdom that you are a part of The weaponry that God has given you. This weaponry, is this what Jesus used to defeat Satan? Matthew 4, 1 through 11, what do you say? It is written, right? Revelation, this is the victory. We have the power to help people to have eternal life. There's no other weapon like this on the face of the planet, none. Absolutely none. And it is more powerful than all of men's arsenals put together. Last Monday night, I would furnish this as as partial proof, or at least for your consideration. Last Monday night, at the gospel meeting in Neosho, Brother Mike Purdom, who's a missionary to Trinidad and Tobago, stated in his closing prayer at that meeting the following regarding our brethren in Ukraine. And you can watch this online if you'd like, quote, We're thankful for the news that even in that conflict, the church is growing there by leaps and bounds. The church is growing there, according to Mike Purdom, by leaps and bounds. In the midst of all of that, we have the weapon of mass salvation. And you know, it's not just about national leaders sometimes sometimes we got a war going on closer to home we got a war going on within our own country a war that seeks to capture the the hearts and souls and minds of men and that's our culture war and if you don't think there's a war going on out there in culture then wake up there is particularly these days when it comes to the abomination of homosexuality this really came home to me the other day. I was in a Walmart. Walmart has got these light source Christian T-shirts. I wear them at Green Valley Bible Camp, and they, they, every year they come out with a few new ones. And so, down kind of down back, uh, there was some Oklahoma uh, shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. And it was two racks of these sh- uh, short sleeve T-shirts that had Christian messages on the front. Bible verse, that sort of thing, and they were on these two side-by-side racks like this. Somebody, somebody had taken it, this. This this still blows my mind. But up in the little kids section for the boys in Walmart, they've got T-shirts for little boys promoting the whole LGBT thing, indoctrinating the kids of. I mean, little shirts. I mean. And somebody had taken two of those shirts, brought them way down into the, where the men's and women's Christian tees were, and hung them. <laughs> I kid you not. Hung them over the Christian t-shirts. One was on the front. One was about the third one in. I assume it had been on the front. Maybe somebody moved it. I don't know. And you knew they didn't belong there, because they were the only kids t-shirts in the whole rack. There's 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 still a war going on in this country when it comes to culture. And as we look around and, and we look at, you know, shirts like that, and we look at some of the things in, in our TVs, we watch a sporting event and, and the commercials and, and the way that this this whole agenda is being promoted, you know, it would be easy to look around, brethren, and how it's going and say, we're gonna lose this war. We're not. We're not. Don't lose heart, we're not. Some treat this, you see like it's a new thing. It, it, this is not a new thing. This has been around since the first century, Romans chapter 1 verses 18, 32 through 32. In fact, it has been around since the Old Testament times of Moses, Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22. But we're still here, aren't we? Is the church still here? Uh-huh? It's still an abomination. Those who continue to practice it will still never enter the kingdom of heaven, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. And that truth is never going to change, John 12 and verse 48. Brethren, that is why it is so critical, so absolutely vital, so important because souls are on the line that you and I unleash the saving power of the gospel on everybody who's lost in sin. This book has the power to free people caught in any sin, doesn't it? This book has the power to get people the right formula, to have their sins forgiven, to help them to repent and turn to God and to be set free. Isn't that what it says in Romans 6? That is why it is so critical that we unleash upon, whether, whether it's those who are, are, are see things differently in this, this battle uh, for culture as we do, that we unleash upon them this one weapon of mass salvation that is the answer and will set them free and give them eternal life. That's what it did in the first century, 1 Corinthians 6.11. Listen. Neither Putin, Stalin, Lenin, or Satan himself are anywhere near as powerful as the people of God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, what does it say? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Is that what it says? That's what it says. They don't have the power that we have. We Listen, <clears throat> we have a king and a sovereign who is unkillable, unconquerable, eternal, and all-powerful. We have a king and a sovereign. We have this Lord Jesus Christ whom, over whom death has no power. They put him to death, he got up. Death can't conquer Jesus. And and because death can't conquer him, he has said that we need not fear it either. It has no power over either him or the people of his pasture. Acts 2, 22 through 25. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Uh, How many more you want? Revelation 19, 11 through 20, 15 and others. We're part of a kingdom that is almost 2,000 years old and was in the mind of God before time even began, before you could keep track of time. We're part of that 2,000-year-old kingdom, one that cannot be shaken, taken, taken over, or destroyed. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 29. And we possess a much more powerful weapon than the world can ever dream of producing, one that can give life abundantly here and give eternal life in the world to come. Romans 1, 16 and 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And the only time our weaponry fails is when we fail to use it. God forbid that we fail to use it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And here's something I want you to think about. Although we, as Christians, might not realize just how powerful a people we are as children of the eternal, immortal king and creator, sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. We see how people win in the culture war or this war or some other war, we kind of lose sight of that. Sometimes we don't realize just how powerful a people we are bec- and, and the power of the weapon that we possess, but you know Satan's servants do. Satan's servants fear you. Did you know that? Think about that, you may not have thought of it, Now, those terms before, think about it. Satan's servants fear you. They fear the weapon that you have. There are 59 countries. I don't know if you can really see that dark blue or not. Countries where Christianity is illegal in 2022. 59 countries where their leaders, rather than face Christianity and the power that you have to free people from their rule, to free people to have eternal life. There are 59 countries that have outlawed, they will not let you preach and teach the message of the gospel. Their leaders fear you because you can set their people truly free. The government in Iran treats Christians as a threat to national security. Got this off the website. Did you hear that? National security. The government in Iran treats Christians as a threat to national security. You tell me again they don't fear you and the message you've gotten, the weaponry you've gotten, that Bible. They're scared to death of it. If an Iranian Christian attempts to convert someone to Christianity, they can go to jail. Additionally, if a Muslim in Iran converts to Christianity, that person can face jail time or death. They fear this. Those leaders don't want this in their country. Persecution, I read also, of Christians is growing in India, where Hindu extremists continue to promote the idea that Christians, because they practice a faith that came from outside of India, are not as devoted to India as are Hindus. Christians in India are subjected to harassment, organized disinformation campaigns, and anti-Christian activities that often turn violent. Christians in some parts of India were denied government aid during the COVID-19 pandemic and were even accused of spreading the virus because they were Christians. These countries, they're in the dark blue. Fear your weaponry. They fear the word of God. Before we close this morning, I want for us to take a look as we wrap up at the timeless words that we find in Psalm 33 and a couple of other places. I I want you to take these home with you. I want you to understand the victory is ours, the kingdom, because of the God we serve, because of who he is, not because of who we are. Psalm 33, look at verses 6 through 12 explains the power of God, and then talks about those who are his. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke. It was done. He commanded Stood fast. The Lord, watch this, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, by contrast the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Aren't you glad to be a part of the most powerful people on the planet because of your God? Look at what David wrote in Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Verses 1 through 5, why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? Psalm 2, now verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces, and cast their cords away from us. As you look at this map, this is the nations plotting together in dark blue. They don't want your God. They're afraid. And and this verse here says, uh, these four verses say, why do they do do this? Why do they plot like this? Why do they set themselves together against Christ? Why is Christianity illegal there? Because they want to apparently break the bonds. They don't want to be subjugated to God. But you know what God says to that? Look at verse 4. God just laughs. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Don't you know that's an understatement? I mean, we just kind of read over those words. He will distress them in his deep displeasure. What do you suppose that means? You want to be on the receiving end of God's wrath? He says they don't either. Verse 10. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Hey, you kings that are banded together because you fear the people of God and the message of God, and you've made it illegal and all of that. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The most powerful people on the planet, no matter what it looks like to the human eye, no matter the day, month, year, century, or millennia, are the ones who are found trusting, obeying, and serving the almighty God and King and creator of the universe, Isaiah 40, 21 through 29. The mightiest people and nation on the planet at any given time are the people of god's own possession today that is those who are washed in his blood saved by his grace and have eternal life today that is those who have been cleansed of their sins baptized into christ and members of his son's one new testament church as we see in acts chapter 2 verses 37 through 47. those who are submissive to his sovereignty and members of his one unconquerable, unconquerable kingdom, or church, or body of people. The one over which he alone is king, and head, and ruler, and has all authority. Ephesians 1:15 through 23, 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And somebody's bound to say, well, Lord's church just doesn't seem that powerful. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue and repent. Stop using passing earthly standards to measure God's eternal kingdom. Stop using your eyes and walk by faith. For we do not walk by sight, but by faith. Because the things which are seen are temporary, while those things which are unseen are forever or eternal. Stop using earthly standards to measure the success of God's eternal kingdom. Jesus told Pilate his kingdom was not of this world. So we can't use earthly measure to measure it. It doesn't fit worldly patterns or definitions or measures. And I think part of the reason that we often get down in our war against Satan and his servants is because we forget the power of what we're a part of. We forget the eternal power of being God's person. That's why we lose heart. That's why we get discouraged. We lose sight of the power we possess as the personal possession of God Himself. Are you a child of God? Are you? Are you asleep? Are you a child of God? Okay. You are his personal possession, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget the power that that gives you, because he is your power. The greatest and most powerful people on Earth, no matter the time, culture, or circumstances, the Bible says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation in this one eternal kingdom, where God as our creator is our Lord, Christ as our King is our Lord, and the word of God is our holy government. This kingdom is incredible. It is eternal. It is invincible. It is indestructible. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews twelve twenty-eight and 9, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Members of a kingdom that can't be shaken, we serve a king who cannot be conquered, and we have a weapon that cannot be destroyed or diminished. Wow. Question this morning, are you a member of that kingdom? doesn't matter your nationality, your gender, your sin. You can become part of that kingdom, that kingdom. By being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, repenting, certainly, turning your life to God, letting him become your king and sovereign where he has not been, and then being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the message and you go, Wow, I didn't realize just how victorious we are. I didn't realize the power that's at our disposal. I want to be able to take that power and unleash it on people that they too can understand what it means to be a member of that eternal church or kingdom which our Lord died to provide. If you'd like the prayers of the church to help go and take and spread this message this morning, or as I said, if you'd like to become a part of that church, that kingdom, come right now and let us know. We'll help by baptizing you, praying for you, anything we can do as we stand and sing.